0: We are finishing up Galatians today, and we've been looking at how the grace of God is what saves mankind. It's how we come to know Him. It's how we're forgiven, and it's nothing of our own merit. And Matt read the last of the chapter, and we're going to look at the first 10 verses of the passage of chapter 6 this morning, and it's, it's very different than the rest of the chapter. And uh, Paul has been talking about how what you do has nothing to do with earning your salvation. But he's not suggesting that what we do and how we live has nothing to do with the quality of life, has nothing to do with the glory that we bring to God. He's not suggesting that at all. And to make sure that we understand that, he goes to this passage right here, chapter 6, verse 1 through 10. And here's what I'd tell you about this passage. Outside of the gospel itself, I think this is one of the most vitally important uh, passages of scripture for practical Christian living that you could learn. I think it's an imperative if you're going to know quality of life as a believer in Christ. This passage right here, I believe, is imperative. It's extremely important. I would pick it out of uh, one of three passages of all the Bible uh, outside of the gospel that I think you ought to learn and implement and live by. So I think this is so, so important. So I want to make sure you glean it. This is not rocket science. You've heard it before, but I want you to know it's scriptural truth. And it is of premium importance that we grasp this concept because if we don't grasp this concept we're going to think we're going to blame a lot of things on God we're going to take a lot of roads and we're going to try to do things and we're going to wonder where's God and why is he doing this to me and why has all this happened so many times we're going to do that and the truth be told it a lot of those things have nothing to do with God they have to do with what we have sown okay? The principles that I'm going to show with you, they're really laws. Just like there's laws of nature and science, there are laws of the Spirit. I know so many times in our Western culture, uh, we, we, no one would ever say, I don't believe in the law of gravity. I just don't believe that's right. I don't believe it. It may be true for you. It's not true for me. That's fine if you want to believe in gravity. Well, but bozo, you jump off that building. it doesn't matter if you believe in it. You're going to hit the ground every time. 100% of the time, you're going to splat, okay? Do you realize that the gravitational pull is, it, wherever you are, it in the universe, it's pulling you towards some mass, either Earth or Jupiter or wherever you are. So you never get to a point to where you're not being pulled by the principle of gravity, okay? That's just a, that's just a fact, all right? 100% of the time, you jump off, I jump off this stage, I hit the ground, I have I have jumped and then I fall. I reap the results, okay? That's always going to happen. Now, when it comes to moral and spiritual truth, so often we don't want to believe this, or our culture goes, well, yeah, the laws of nature are always true. You plant a seed, you get that particular crop, Um, the laws of gravity, uh, the law, law of buoyancy. Yeah, but when it comes to morality, when it comes to spirituality, you get to make that up on your own, but that's not the Word of God says, Just like there are laws of nature, just like there are laws of science, there are laws of truth. There's law of the Spirit, okay? And that's what what Paul is teaching us right now. When you sow to the Spirit, you reap the Spirit, always. When you sow to the flesh, you reap the results of the flesh. Now, sometimes that may not happen, but that's called a miracle. You understand? It's a miracle when it doesn't happen, all right? So for you and I, principal, you can plan on your life that every time that you violate the process of the law of the Spirit, that there's a result. It doesn't mean you always feel it and see it, but there always is, okay? So I want us to understand that before we get into this text, because I think it's so important, and I think it's so important that we understand this, and Paul is speaking here. He's just talked about the fruit of the Spirit, and he's starting in chapter 6 here, and he says, now... I want to talk to you about sometimes when people, uh, when, they, when they fall and when they have sown maybe some seed that they can't, they can't endure the results because they've made some mistakes, they've had some decisions, or maybe it's just facts of life, maybe it's just reality has kind of come down hard in their life. And he starts off here by saying, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. Now, first of all, he says brothers. By the way, this is a generic term. It means brothers and sisters. He's not just speaking to men. Okay, it's, it's just a method of writing. Okay, It's a neutral term. So he's talking about believers. Believers in Christ. If anyone who's caught, anyone who's trapped, anyone who's been ensnared, anybody who's addicted, anybody who is being controlled, anybody who's continuing, he's talking about in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. Who's the spiritual people? Is he talking about the pastor? That means, Pastor, my husband's not being right. You come over here and get him. Or, Pastor, my neighbor's not right. I'd like you to come over here and talk to him. That's not what he's talking about. Spiritual, if we go back to chapter 5, those who are seeking to follow Christ. Those who are following Christ. The Spirit convicts you and says, I need you to help the situation. Your brother, your sister in Christ, somebody, a friend or somebody that you know is struggling. That's the spirit speaking. It's convicting you to to get involved, to help, to do something. That's what it's talking about right here. And he says, those of you who are spiritual, he says this, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. What does that mean? That means that we never restore somebody when we really want to. Never confront somebody when you want to. I can't wait to give him a piece of my mind and tell him what he's doing. That's the wrong spirit, okay? Every time, that's right. God never wants you, to. that's not the spirit of Christ. Spirit of Christ never is so excited to go pummel somebody and tell them what they're doing wrong and get onto them. That means you're in the flesh, okay? Flesh, uh, I don't really want to go. Spirit, okay? Real simple. If you want to do it, don't, all right? <laughs> just, just wait to you go, I don't think I want to do it. Then you're ready. That means, that means you are in the right heart and the right frame of mind and the right spirit, all right? And you can be gentle. When you don't want to do something, you'll always be gentle. You'll, be, you'll come in humility. We'll talk about that in a moment. Keep and watch over yourself lest you, too, be tempted. Lest you be tempted. Hey, recognize you're not above this. Recognize that you could get in this process and unless you're, you have your guard, unless you're humble, unless you recognize it's only the grace of God uh, that you're not in that situation, you can fall. You know, pornography is rampant in our culture today. It is so pervasive in every area of our culture. And we talked about that this week in one of our staff meetings, and we talked about our pastors. I've, I've asked our pastors before to do accountability software, and now we're saying, okay, we're going to take another step up. And not only accountability, but we're going to start filtering and doing some things because we believe that that... That's such a problem, and we deal with people who, who are addicted, and we just think that's very important and as leaders. And so we're asking all of our pastors. Matter of fact, I'm not going to ask, them, I'm just going to tell them, all, all of you have to have this. Now, is that a foolproof? You know it's not. But there are steps that we have to take, and it's this principle right here. You've got to be careful lest you are tempted yourself. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. He said, "Bear one another's burdens." Now, what is he talking about burdens here? The, the Greek word there is baros, and, and baros means this: it means a load that is extremely heavy, a, a, just a, a lot of weight. There's a lot here to carry, and he's saying, "Help them bear that." Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little. Uh, let's do a little illustration here. Nick, would you guys come on up here and um, come on up here, and all you got to do is just. If you don't mind, just, just would you, would you, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask your son first. Would you just pick that up? Just pick that thing up, if you would. It's heavy, isn't it? Okay, you don't have to do any more. Now, Nick, I want to ask you to come over here and pick it up with him. All right, now I'm going to put these underneath it. Please don't drop it. <laughs> All right, go ahead and put it down. And then if we wanted to move it, just move it that way or pull it either way. There you go. All right, thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Now, what did you notice there? First of all, that weight was too big uh, for his son to move on his own, okay? It was too much. So, what did he need? He needed help. That's the picture right here that it's giving us. It's so heavy that you're going to need help. Some of you may be in that situation right now. Some of you have been in that situation in the past. Some of you will be in it in the future. That there is a weight. There's something going on that you need someone to come alongside you and help you carry the burden. That's the picture that is given right here in Scripture. Now, let's stop for just a moment and let's talk practically about what we've just shared and about what we've just discussed. And let's talk about what it means to do to be in the restoration process and to help someone carry a heavy burden. First of all, we talked about this. When do you do it? When do you do it? And it's verse 1. When do I confront, so to speak, someone? When do I seek to help someone if they're caught in a sin? They're caught in something. Well, number one, when they're blinded by it. They don't recognize what's happening. They don't see or they don't understand the consequences of what's going to occur. You know, an easy one, uh, when you start to see someone with a drug problem or a substance abuse problem and they're starting, it's starting to affect them at work or it's starting to affect their family and for some reason they're blinded. believer in Christ, when you have a burden, say, hey, do you see what's happening? You understand what's happening? I think you're blinded to the facts here and to the consequences. Secondly, when it's repeated, when somebody keeps doing something over and over again, that's when it's time to lovingly and gently confront, when they're blinded or when they continually are repeated, continue to repeat the behavior. Secondly, how? we mentioned this, in a spirit of gentleness and humil- humility. Gentleness, where you, where you come to a point and go, oh, man, I don't really want to do this. And I, I get it, man. I am, I am, you're coming so humble because you recognize, you know, this, this could be me. I could be in the same situation. And you gently visit with them. You gently talk to them. And then thirdly, and we talk about this, understand. What is that word understand? To stand under. You help them. You stand under them. You help them. You empathize. You begin to try as best you can to feel what they're feeling, and you help them carry the burden. You help them walk through that valley. That's the restoration process. Now, what if it's you that needs to be restored? What if it's you that's caught? How do you respond then? Well, first of all, you have to confess. You have to say, you know what? I am struggling. And this is a difficult area. This this is a weakness for me. You got to start there. If you don't start there, you you will never find healing. You've got to confess to begin. And any of you who've ever uh, been associated with AA, that's first. You got to confess. You got to recognize this is where I am. Number two, commit to accountability. This is where a lot of people fall off. Commit to accountability to a group or to some trusted individual who you can trust, who's further down the road, and you know we'll hand you correct and we can always help you in that process as well. We can, we can help you out with someone as a church, but commit to accountability. That's an imperative. If you've already been struggling, it's not going to just go away, all right? You need some accountability, some assistance. Thirdly, guard your heart. Guard your heart be conscious of what's coming into your mind, what you're reading, what you're seeing, what you're watching, where you're going, who who you're with. Cut off any ties that tempt you to go back. And if that means that um, you have to get a new phone that doesn't automatically download images, then do it. Sound radical? That's what it might take. And then cut off and then the last part it just says carry your portion. Carry your portion. Okay. We talked a while ago about, hey, what about burdens that are too big? Well, you know what? God has given you for the most of us' life, we all have something to bear. Okay? And it may be our, it may be our physical situation, maybe our family situation, it may be something God's called you to do that you go. I, I know God's led me this direction, but it's hard for me teaching children. Or it's hard for me praying for my neighbors and living where it's hard for me working where I am and and praying for them, encouraging them. But you know what? It's something you can do. It's something through the power of the Spirit you can do. It doesn't have to be overwhelming, okay? It's a burden that you can carry, and you don't need to keep looking to shove it off, all right? Whatever God has called you, whatever He has placed in your life that you know you're to be committed to, that's the picture of portion. There's a portion. You have a portion of this life that you're responsible for and that God has called you to carry. Now, let's continue on with our scripture and our passage here, and beginning in verse 3. Galatians 6, 3 says, for if anyone thinks he is something, he thinks he's above it. Hey, I wouldn't do that. Can you believe they're doing that? I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm not saying anything. I'm not doing anything. It's a spirit of pride. If anyone thinks he's above it, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then, then his reason to boast or share will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, not looking in his neighbor, but recognizing this is my issue, this is my deal. Verse 5, for each one will have to bear his own portion, his own load. Verse 6, let the one who is taught in the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, this is obscure. It almost looked like, a, whoa, where did that come from right there? You know what I mean? As a matter of fact, you, if you've been in church long enough, you've heard a preacher use this. And a matter of fact, you can, on television sometimes they will quote this, okay? And um, I'm going to share it with you because it's here. Some of you are going to be mad because Paul wrote this, and you think I planted it here, um, but I'm going to share this. It says, let the one who's taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean you're supposed to give your preacher money? That's not what he's saying. All right. Uh, and if you hear that, they're taking that out of context and in the wrong spirit. What, he, what I do believe is talking about, I do talk, think, believe it's talking about spiritual authority. Where are you being fed? Where are you being cared for? Under what spiritual authority are you coming? Are you being supportive in that koinonia, in that fellowship? Matter of fact, the, the next word, there's a Greek word koinonia that's about to be used here. He's talking about the fellowship. So where are you involved church-wise? Where is the body of believers that you've connected to? And you go, well, I've talked to people all the time that say this, or not all the time, but several times. Yep, I do TV. And they'll list the name of the person. They go, that's my pastor. I said, really? You ought to call him next time you get sick. Tell him to come visit you. <laughs> call him come over to your house. Tell him to come see you at the hospital. No, that's somebody you're watching. And that's great if you're learning things there. If you're gleaning great information, that, that's great. Uh, but that's not your spiritual authority. That's not the spiritual leadership. That's not the koinonia that God has placed you in. And that's why the church is so important that we'd be a part of it, that we can bear one another's burdens, that we can receive instruction, that we can encourage one another spiritually and emotionally and socially. That's the picture there. And he, and he says, share the things that you have with the one who teaches, with those who have provided the opportunity. That's why part of what you give goes to pay the past, uh, the pastors of our church a salary, part of them. Now, that's not all it gives. Uh, obviously, there are things that we do mission-wise, ministry-wise, building-wise, but that's a piece of it, and that's a scriptural principle. Continuing on, because lest some of you think I'm being totally self-serving, this, remember, we just did Galatians, the whole book, okay, and this is the next verse. I could skip this verse, but I would not be honoring God. It's continuing on, verse 7. For those of you who are mad, please see uh, our elders. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now, let's stop right there. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. You know, I have a wonderful mother, sweet lady, godly lady, just a great woman of faith. She's such an incredible mom, and I'm so thankful for her. But um, teenagers plug your ears for just a moment. But when I was a teenager, um, I manipulated my mom pretty bad. I would punch her buttons, and I would fake cry, and I'd do all these. I'm ashamed of myself now. Okay, I totally took advantage of my mother, and I would at the time I thought (laughs) I got her. I didn't get away every time, but a lot of times I got her fooled. Like I can do things, and then I get away with it because I know how to punch my mom's buttons. Can I tell you something? This passage right here saying, God's not your mama, okay? He's not your mama. You're not ever going to get away with it. He never goes, oh, boy, he pulled one on me there. Didn't see that one coming. He always knows your heart. He always knows your motives. And every time you sow, you reap the consequences, okay? God will not be mocked. God is not fooled. God is not stupid. God's not your mama, your grandma, your daddy, or whoever, your principal, your boss. God is not mocked. He always knows the motive of your heart. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. And the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Now, that word eternal life talks about longevity, but it also means quality. In other words, God created you. He created this universe. He created this world. He created you, and he did it on purpose. And when he did it, he he did it in a way that there are certain laws and principles that if we live by, it adds to the quality of our life. And when we choose to not live by them, then there are consequences because that's not the way he created the world. Okay, God's laws are not arbitrary. He didn't go you know what, let's think of some things that they want to do, but they won't do, and then I'll get them. So let's tell them not to steal, and let's tell them not to lie, and we'll do that so that we can punish them, and then they'll see how awful they are. That's what we'll do. Let's, let's make some more let's, up. Uh, let's say, don't have, don't have sex before marriage. That's another good. Yeah, let's write that one down. No, you know the reason he did that? Because it's best for you. It's the way that he created you. And he wants you to live by those principles because it's best for you. Yes, it brings him glory, and it's always, and it's also best for you. That's why it's important to sow to the Spirit. God's giving you great advice. He's saying, hey, I want you to have life and to have it fully. I want you to experience the fruit of the Spirit, and this is what you need to do. But if you go off this way, you're sowing to the flesh, and you're going to reap the consequences there. It's just like when I was a kid, I remember... Uh, we, would, we would plant corn, and we would plant uh, potatoes, and we would plant uh, peas. And every time we planted corn, you know what came up? Corn every single time. I remember thinking, oh, man, I wish we had apple trees. I love apples. And I was planting that corn, but you know what came up? Corn every time. That's what will happen. Now, sometimes there might be a drought, and there be no corn, but never will you plant corn and get apples. That's the picture right there so that Paul makes it abundantly clear to us. He continues here, "...but the one who sows to the Spirit will will reap quality of life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due time in the season we will reap if we do not quit." So let let us, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Okay, now let's look at some practical applications of this for just a moment. Reaping and sowing principles. Um, First of all, we um, we reap. Actually, there's some things that we don't sow that we reap. The first one would be the the, the law or the order of common grace, uh, grace. That's something that we've not that we can't earn and we can't necessarily sow into. And what I mean by that, common grace. There's two types of grace: common grace and then saving grace. Common grace is this. It's the good things of life that God has provided. It's the water. It's the sun. It's the oceans, it's the mountains, it's the goodness uh, in, in certain individuals that's not transformational, but just the common goodness that God has supplied in the world. But then there's saving grace. The saving grace is this. It's the salvation that's been offered to us through Christ Jesus and that we are saved by and there's nothing we can do to earn or deserve it. So that is grace that has been simply offered to us that we must receive. But everything else is sown okay? So what does that mean? Well, let's talk about that for just a second. Um, We reap what we sow. Now, we can reap the blessings, or we can reap the judgment. I want to tell you something right now, and I want you to hear me clearly, and if you want to talk about this later, you can. I personally believe that the vast majority of things that happen to us in our life are because of what we have sown. Now, yes, absolutely. Sometimes, we have lousy or bad parents who've sown seed that we bear the consequences of. Sometimes they're pastors or elected officials or whoever who, uh, who've sown bad seed, and we bear the consequences, sometimes nationally, sometimes individually. Those things happen, absolutely. Somebody's sown seed, and then you uh, suffer for it. That's true. But most of the time, it's seed that we personally sow most of the time not every time but most of the time is seed but it's always seed someone has sown okay and so you're responsible for what seed you sow all right so what i mean by that is often more than more than more than often even when we seek the judgment of god it's because of seed that we've sown i don't believe god's up there going i'm going to get you for that you know what i'm so mad at you for cheating and lying now I'm going to get you now. He didn't do that. You know what it is? You lied, you cheated, and now you get caught. Why is God being so hard on me? No, dummy, you sowed bad seed. You broke the law, and when you break the law, there's a consequence. God didn't make you do that. Quit blaming it on God. I don't even think it had anything to do with God. It's you. Okay? That's called take responsibility. Grow up and recognize that when you sin and when you lie and when you chill and steal and when we cheat, And when we do things that disintegrate our relationships, we can't say, oh, God, I I know I did that, but why do you got to do this to me? It's the law of the harvest. What I sow, I reap. By the way, this is all throughout the Old Testament. You know, This metaphor comes up over and over. Whatsoever a man soweth, so will he reapeth. It's all throughout the Bible, over and over again. And by the way, this principle works if you're Christian or not Christian. You can be an atheist, it's still true. You sow bad seed, you're going to reap bad seed, okay? It's always going to happen. You just count on it. Uh, it's like Archimedes. Remember that we talked about gravity. Uh, it's the law of buoyancy. And, um, you know, when, water, when the weight of water displaces, when you put something in the water and it displaces the weight that's equal to that weight, then it will float. But if not, it'll sink. So that's why if you throw a rock in there, it sinks, but certain type of wood would float. Thus, we have ships. So no one whether we're a Christian or not, no one would say, I think what's happening there, though, is God is going sink, sink, float. Float, float, sink. Float, float, sink. No. Every time I throw a rock in there, it will sink. And every time I put something that can float in there, it'll float. Unless water gets into it, it becomes too heavy, okay? So, the same principle is true spiritually. God's not going, I'm going to get them for that. No. He, he was warning us it's, it's the same picture of us telling our kids not to play in the street. Do not play in the street. Do not run through the grass barefooted in a field. You're going to get thorns. And then we get a thorn. We go, Mom, why did you do this to me? No, I was trying to get you not to do that. I'm not punishing you. I didn't stick thorns in your foot, son. That's the picture right there. All right. I, hopefully we're getting this. But I, I, I'll just have to confess you. Sometimes it drives me crazy. And we go. Huh? I don't know why God's doing this. I want to go because you eat too many French fries. That's why God's doing that. But anyway. Let's, let's continue on. So the blessings and the fruit. You've heard this before. Charles Reed is who it's attributed to. Not sure exactly who originated, but Charles Reed is the closest we can get. It goes this way. You sow a thought, you reap a deed. You sow a deed, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. That's biblical. As a man... Thinketh, so he is, so he doeth, so he soweth, so he reapeth. We reap later than we sow. We're in a culture that we want everything now. Give it to me now. I got to have it. Well, I did some good things. I tried church one time and it didn't work. I, 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 I submitted myself. I was giving. I was helping. And, and I don't know. I don't, it just never did, never did pan out for me. Can I tell you, there's always a season. I, I remember when I was a kid. I mentioned to you, we had a, a small farm, and I remember, I, I this was really early. I must not have been more than five years old, and uh, and I wanted to, to plant watermelons. It's my dad, let me, he gave me a little section uh, out in the field, and he said, okay, this is your watermelon patch right here. So we planted, I want big ones, dad, and I want yellow ones, and I want red ones. I don't know how many of you had yellow watermelons, but anyway, uh, so I, I planted those, and so I had probably, I don't know, maybe a uh, an eighth of an acre of watermelons, and so I'm so excited, and I remember the plants started coming up, and I would go out sometimes, and I'd water, you know, and I tried to do everything I could, and then the plant started, I said, Dad, is it almost there? He goes, no, still got a lot of time, son, and then one day, a melon came, and it started to grow, and I said, Dad, can I go get that? He goes, no. I said, tomorrow? Nope. He goes, probably about six to eight weeks. Six to eight weeks? I mean, that's like an eternity when you're five, and so I waited a little bit longer and a little bit longer and I remember I just couldn't stand it anymore. I mean, it it gotten this big, you know? It was big, bigger than the softball. And I remember I went out one day and I pulled it off. And I went over to our driveway and I cracked it. <laughs> and I started eating. And it was terrible. You know why? Because it wasn't ripe. It wasn't the season yet. But I was ready. I wanted it now. I didn't want to wait to receive the harvest in the right, correct season. I wanted it now. It's what the Bible's talking about. It says, in due time, you will reap the harvest, depending on what version you learned, if you do not grow weary, if you do not quit. How many times have people quit things that if they would have just continued, they would have reaped the harvest? You know, I think of so many stories in athletics and academics of people who just continued to continue to go. You know, I, I, I meet with church planters every month. That's one of the things I'll tell them. I go, you know what? If you've got thin skin, it's almost like car sales. You know, If you're like thin skin, if, you, if people say no and you're going to quit, you're never going to make it. You just have to keep going because you're going to take two steps forward and then you're going to take three back. You're going to take three forward, you're going to take one back, and you just keep going. You keep going, and if you quit, that'll be the end. But don't quit. Don't quit. Continue to plant seed. Continue to sow good seed. William Carey, uh, matter of fact, that's the, the college my mother graduated from. It's named after a, a missionary, William Carey. In 1793, he went to India. And for seven years, he shared the gospel. He did Bible studies. He preached. And no one came. No one accepted Christ. It wasn't until seven years that the first person accepted Christ. And after that, it slowly became a trickle in. And then, then later, there's, there's a revival and a harvest. But William Carey went seven years. Do you think he was discouraged? I know he was. He wrote letters saying, I don't know what I'm doing here. Maybe this was a mistake. He lost a child. It was just, it was terrible. But in due time, he reaped the harvest. The kingdom reaped the harvest because he didn't quit. What about you? What are some practical ways that we can sow good seed today? Let me just give you some simple things. Let me give you five simple things that you can do to sow into your life spiritually. I want to encourage you to do these five simple principles, okay? First one. Begin your day spending time with God before any media. Uh, John Stott, I mentioned him last week, great theologian, great father in the faith. He used to, he said, you know, I would take the fruit of the Spirit. I memorized uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and every morning I would just quote those and said, God, let this be upon my heart and be on the tip of my lips, and he would quote that. He would just take a few minutes each day. I want to challenge you before you do any media to spend some time with God, either in prayer Or in scripture or both. And you go, I don't have time. You need counseling, okay? Get up five minutes early. You can't start with two minutes. I can't do two minutes without getting on my email. You got an addiction, my friend. Okay? It owns you. If you can't take at least two or three minutes to start your day, that's that's a bad sign, okay? So I want to encourage you. That's that's one way to start. It'll kind of show you what your master is. Number two, buy yourself a study Bible and begin to journal. Get you a study Bible and just say, all right, I'm going, to, I'm going to study the book of John, I'm going to study the book of Galatians, or whatever it is you want to study and begin to take notes and begin to to educate you and learn and grow spiritually. Number three, join a small group. We talked about this passage talks about the, the importance of koinonia, of being a part of a, a group where people are more spiritually advanced, you, people you can help, uh, help them bear their burdens, people that can help you people who encourage you as we do life together. Uh, Join a small group or uh, or at least join a Bible study to be a part of a a group. It's important. Number four, also that's another way people can sow into your life. Do something spiritually radical for you. What's spiritually radical for you? Something spiritually radical for you might be teaching third grade boys. That might be radical for you right there. That might be, are you crazy? Uh, Something radical for you might be, I'm going to start giving. Or maybe you say, I've been a believer for a while um, I'm, I'm, I've never done a mission trip. Maybe you ought to go on one of our missions with us, okay? Do something radical, something that's out of your box to take a step. Can I tell you, for my life, people always ask me this. They go, did you always know you wanted to be a pastor? I go, heck no. I didn't want to be a pastor when I was a kid or in high school either. I was going to be a professional baseball player. And the only reason I didn't do it is because I wasn't good enough or I would have done it. That's the That's the real truth. And so, yeah, I I, I was, I, my senior year, I said, "Okay, I'll be a leader in my my student ministry or my youth ministry," he called it back then. And then I went to college, and the church said, "Would you help us?" And I said, "All right, I'll, I'll help. I'll come help you a little bit." And so I started helping over there. And then I remember it being at a retreat in college, and uh, there were some missionary. There were some kids that had gone and done missions in the summer. They'd been to Africa, and they were bathing out a bucket, and you know, hot all the time, mosquitoes and water. And I'm thinking, "You people are nuts. Why would you even do that?" And I just remember praying. I said, God, get me to where I'd be that godly because I don't ever see that happening. I don't ever see that happening. And I, I began to pray, and God changed my heart. And I ended up going overseas after I got out of school. And then just step after step after step. I, I, it was never in my wheelhouse to think, hey, I'll get up in front of people and tell them how to live and tell them what the Bible says. That was not in my wheelhouse, okay? That is not something that I ever thought. But you know what it was? You sow seed right here. You sow seed right here sow seed right here, and you continue over and over and over again. And God begins to open doors. And it's not like I do this and I become godly. It's over the time sowing seed again and again and again. And fifthly, commit to serve and grow. Commit to serve. If you're not serving in any capacity, I want to encourage you to do that. Commit to a growth plan. Uh, again, we have classes that we would love for you to take that will help you develop spiritually. That will show you how to exercise the spiritual disciplines. Take that step, plant that seed. Uh, let me tell you this: you know what the definition of insanity is? Doing the same thing you've always done, expecting different results. If you're sitting here today and you go, "I feel kind of flat. I don't feel like I've really grown." I don't what seed are you sowing right now? It's the law of the harvest. If you sow nothing, you get nothing. If you sow good seed then it's going to have a return. It won't always be immediate, but it will come back to you. That is a scriptural promise, a scriptural principle. And lastly, we reap more than we sow. Here's the truth. I am so immensely blessed more than I deserve. I have reaped more than I sow. You know, when I when we were in Louisiana, we'd plant corn. We always reaped more than we'd sow. We'd put these little seeds, and then, you know, we'd have a stalk of corn that had three, four, five ears of corn on it. It would be so much more than just those couple of seeds that we had planted. We'd always reap more. And that's the the beauty of the Spirit of Christ. When we begin to sow good seed, we begin to experience the fruit of the Spirit. We begin to see transformation happen in others' lives. And sometimes people say, man, you've really been an encouragement to me, or you've really strengthened me, or this really helped, and you weren't even trying to. It's sowing good seed, the seed of the Spirit. Um, I'll close with this. I remember when we started our church, as a matter of fact, the very first gathering. There's just a, a little over a dozen of us. And I remember this uh, single mom came. <clears throat> and she came. And uh, other than me, she was the oldest one there. And I thought, man, I don't know. You know, we don't have anything right now. We got nothing going on. And um, But I thought, you know, God just kind of really impressed my heart. You know, you need to encourage her. For her to even be here, that's a big deal. So I remember going over and encouraging her, telling her how much I appreciated her coming. And I made it a point every week to encourage this single mom. There was only about 15 of us anyway. It was easy to encourage everybody at that point. And so, but I remember her just thinking, I, I don't know how long this is going to last or this is going to work, but you know what? She's here, so let's let's encourage and let's do whatever we can. And so time went on, and she was greatly involved and helped in so many ways and served her and her, her, her sons, helped and would set up chairs and do all kinds of things. And then after about two years, uh, she came and she said, hey, I would love for you to consider, I'm, I'm getting back my husband. I'm going to remarry him. Would you do the wedding? And I did, and that was, that was a neat thing. And I had no idea about her background. She didn't really have much as a single mom. There was nothing other than just serving that she could really do. But later on, she got re- when she remarried her husband, he was a very successful in business. And one of the ways that we got this property, would you know it? They set out and wrote a check that greatly helped us. I don't think we could have done it without them. It helped. It wasn't. It wasn't nearly the full amount, but it was the biggest amount. She sat down and wrote that check, and that all came from a single mom. We reaped more than we sowed. That's that's the story of Rock Point over and over and over again. That's the grace and mercy of God. If You sow good seed in due time, you will reap the harvest if you do not quit. He talked about eternally. Certainly in heaven, we are laying up in store in heaven. But he's talking about quality of life. Doesn't mean you're instantaneously going to get it. It may be years down the road, but when you sow good seed, it's the law of the harvest. It will come back to you. What are you sowing today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this, Lord, just great principle that if we sow good seed, we will, Lord, produce fruit. It will produce fruit eventually. But when we sow to our selfishness, our sinfulness, then we reap that God, I pray that we would uh, not mistake the natural judgment of the order of this world with, God, the mistakes and the decisions that we've made. Let us, Lord, see that as we sow to the Spirit that you are growing our hearts, you are making us like you, that you are being glorified and honored, and it's the purpose for which we exist. It's the reason that you created us. I pray, Lord. That you would convict us and lead us to sow righteousness, goodness. Sow into your kingdom this day. If there's one, Lord, that's never sowed the seed of faith and said, I want to trust Christ. I want to give my life. And Jesus, I believe that you died for me. Come in my life and forgive me my sins. I trust you. Lord, I pray today would be that day. For those, Lord, who are struggling with health, with finances, with so many things, God. Lord, I pray today that you would overwhelm them with your grace. Sometimes sickness comes, and it's not because of what we've done, but because of the fallen world, because of the seed of corruption that's happened in mankind. Whether it be the pollution, the germs in the air, or the chemicals that we ingest, God, uh, it's all a fall of man, God. God. the seeds that have been sown of the Lord, I pray that even in spite of that, in spite of the suffering that we sometimes endure, Lord, that we would say, Lord, my hope is in you. Though you slay me, yet will I trust you, as Job said. And recognizing that we are reaping even now as our testimony goes forth, Lord, that you're using that testimony. You're using that. Those prayers that we prayed, God, use me. Use me as your instrument, and God, you are answering that even from the curse of sin and the fall of man. God, we thank you that the greatest reward is yet to be achieved and yet to be received. And so, Lord, if there's one here that needs you, I pray that they respond this day and choose to sow the seed of faith. In your name I pray.